that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. So today we're talking about The Office, a mockumentary that was adapted from the successful British sitcom and ran on NBC between 2005 and 2013. The Office is on the surface about a paper company and its employees, but it's also about the personal interactions and relationships that are formed in these spaces. I'm here with Demetrius Papadopoulos, Assistant Teaching Professor of Mathematics here at Drexel University, Um, and we're going to get into the nitty-gritty nature of The Office and Scranton, Pennsylvania's favorite paper company. Are you ready to talk about The Office? I am so ready to talk about The Office. Let's do it. The reason it's so great, and I think people keep coming back to the office, is for these interactions between people. Totally. And understanding that the workplace is a social environment as much as it is is one, like, structured around labor force. Michael talks a lot about how it's all about people. Mm-hmm. And it's all about relationship building. And, like, that's the, the like, deep desire he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Jim and Pam, it's just, like, where they get to hang out and, like, be a couple. Pam, so as it turns out, I may not have done so hot on my customer reviews this year. Maybe it's because you spent the whole year flirting with the receptionist. A little bit. Worth it. But yeah, it's like everything happens in spite of the work that needs to be mm-hmm. done, not because of the work that needs to be done. Yeah. I think my work experience is drastically different than anybody's in the office, but mm-hmm. there's still like so much to resonate with. Yeah. There's still like a day in and day out sort of mundanity that the office captures and then also captures the ways in which, like, the characters there find purpose and happiness mm. despite that. Yeah. And that that's why we connect with the office. Academia is a drastically different place, I think, in a lot of ways than a mid-tier paper company in Scranton. Mm-hmm. Right? We're in a big city. It's a huge institution. The dynamics are different. Most of my human interaction in a day is with my students. Mm-hmm. I'm not interacting with my peers most of the time mm-hmm. in the way that, like, the characters in the office are. And despite that, there's still connections to be found. We feel, I think, in our own lives, like the types of feelings and actions that are expressed by those characters. We work hard, we play hard. Sometimes we play hard when we should be working hard, right? The atmosphere that I've created here is that I'm a friend first and a boss second, probably a entertainer third. You have moments where you feel like different characters, like you empathize with different characters at different mm-hmm. times, right? Like we all empathize with Michael's insecurity, right, and, like, Jim's settling into comfort as opposed to, like, actually confronting his aspirations, Stanley's anger and, like, bitterness. I I mean, it's almost like, what was that movie that came out where it's, like, it takes place in the mind, Inside Out? Oh, Inside Out, yeah. I feel like the Dunder Mifflin Scranton (laughs) office is, like, the inside of, of the human brain. Hello, this is, like, a Twilight Zone episode. Yeah. It wasn't in the office. The office was in the mind. The office was in the mind the whole time. <laughs> like, all of those characters are extensions of our mm. human nature that we all share. Yeah. But it's harder to pick one. It's not as easy as, like, it was with Sex and the City, where you're, like, a Samantha or a Charlotte or a... Sure. And I think that that is one of the 
the benefits of the office is seeing how all these characters come together to create like a cohesive whole yeah which goes back i think to the inside out thing of like they all have to be there in order to have a functioning office and when any of them leave it becomes really upsetting for me a lot of the beauty in especially the earlier seasons of the office are the just the brilliant ways in which they caricaturize a lot of these really common human experiences like we're all sort of like messed up because of all the romantic comedies we've watched since we were kids <laughs> right but i think michael captures that fact that like there's a sense in which you wish michael would would grow into that person that he becomes by the time he leaves. He puts like all of this stock into relationships and has this really highly romanticized idea of what a romantic relationship should be, what you do, like those grand gestures of mm. like proposing on the sixth date to Carol. The the, re the realtor. The realtor. Yeah. At the at volley. The, yeah. And she's wearing a cheerleader's outfit because he told her it was a costume party. <laughs> Um, everyone, I'm sorry, should I have your attention, please? Thank you. I have learned a lot about Indian culture tonight, but I have learned even more about love. And I know you're all thinking, who is this crazy gringo and what is he talking about? Well, I'm not crazy. Maybe I'm crazy in love. He lives a very rom-com life. And yeah. I feel like that was one of the first examples where he realizes that, like, things don't always work out. But it highlights how desperate he is for love and a family. Like, And Michael, like, very explicitly talks about the office as his family. Yeah. Because we know where it's all coming from, right? You have, like, you get insight in that episode where we see a video of him on that kid's show. I'm going to give you a little blast from the past of Michael Gary Scott when he was a child star and a show that you might remember called Fundle Bundle. Okay, without further ado, Ryan. So tell me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be married and have a hundred kids so I can have a hundred friends and no one can say no to being my friend. I feel like a, a thesis of the office is that we should really care about what's in a person's heart and their intentions. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to with Michael, right? Because he does a lot of terrible things. And he does a lot of things that have absolutely atrocious outcomes. He says horrible things to people that are like super sexist and insensitive and racist. Mm -hmm. But somehow he still, I mean, this is partly Steve Carell's genius and partly writing genius, I think. It's like, we always come back around to falling in love with Michael and rooting for him. And let's put your hands together and give a warm welcome for the man of the hour, Mr. Michael Scott. We as the audience are supposed to care that his intentions are always good and that Deep down inside, we know that deep down inside, he's a good person. All right. Wow. Um, I came here today because I promised you tuition, and tuition is very valuable. But you know what's invaluable? Is intuition. You know what that is? That is the ability to know when something is about to happen. Does anybody out there have intuition? Know what's going to happen next? Nobody? Okay. You're going to make me say it. <laughs> All right. So Scott's Tots is notoriously one of those episodes Ugh. that people are like, I skipped that episode. I, I just can't bear to watch it unfold. Yeah. But I think what's really hard about watching that episode is you know what it feels like when you hurt somebody by breaking a promise to them. And hopefully it's not. <laughs> you promise a kindergartner a college education. Oh but I think, what, I think one of the smartest things about it is that you think, like, what a terrible person to even offer that promise. 
But when he says later, like, I'm really sorry, I thought I was going to be able to fulfill it. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely times where he, like, tries to say something and it doesn't go over well. I feel like we've all felt shame. The day he's leaving, Pam asks what kinds of toppings he wants for his ice cream. (laughs) And he, again, in this, like, weird, like, Michael with his guard down voice is like, what kind of toppings would you like, Pam? And... It's like we've never heard him say anything remotely similar to that. No. Remember, like, when they're planning a party for somebody and he wants, like, an ice cream cake? He wants what he wants. And and they're like, well, she's lactose intolerant. And he's like, so ice cream cake? And they have an ice cream cake that he's, like, he has a huge corner piece or whatever. And he's just, like, downing it. And it's all over his face. He's like, oh, my gosh, this is delicious. It, despite being a very small moment, is a very impactful one as opposed to those like little snippets where you really cringe yeah at just how sad or desperate he has always been when he says if i had a gun with two bullets in a room with hitler bin laden and toby shoot toby twice a that's one of the funniest lines in the whole show but it's so dark and messed up yeah he really is able, Toby is able to hit Michael in ways that, like, really expose, like, a really dark side to Michael. Here is Toby from Human Resources. Katie, Toby. Hi. Toby, Hi. Katie. Toby's divorced. He, uh, God. recently, right? You and your wife. And you have kids. Oh. Oh, that's so, that was really messy. But also, Toby just kind of takes it in ways that, like, Stanley just gives Michael a look at the slight suggestion of yeah. doing something. Stanley, Earth is Stanley. Not me. Yes, you. Come on, Stanley, put your little game down and, and join the group. Did I stutter? Yeah, what a weird dynamic. Yeah. Because there's just something, there's something about Toby that you just don't like. <laughs> and I feel really bad about that. <laughs> the question is brought to you by Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. Pannoni Honors College is invested in undergraduate research, scholar development, and interdisciplinary scholarship. With students from various backgrounds in academic fields of study, the Honors College engages its community in complex ideas. Info at drexel.edu slash Pannoni. That's P-E-N-N-O-N-I. Pannoni Honors College, a place for active learning, high achievement, and community. Here's the thing. When we said we were going to talk about The Office and Parks and Rec, it seems like we don't need to bring Parks and Rec (laughs) into the conversation. There's enough to say about The Office. But if you ask me who would you want to be in Parks and Rec, my answer is like basically anybody in that show. Mm. Because they're all either amazing from the beginning or they become amazing by the end of the show. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that way about The Office. Like there's no character that I would want to be. Dwight really is it. Because Dwight to me is like the hero of The Office. (laughs) I mean, he's incredible, right? He's got integrity. Uh, He's always well-intentioned. He wants to protect those that he thinks are weaker than him. Super misguided, (laughs) right? He's usually wrong. Like, he works a full-time job. He's the top-grossing salesman at Dunder Mifflin, and he owns a beet farm. Yeah. And runs a bed bed and breakfast. And And will do wedding planning. He's amazing with children, right? Like, (laughs) when he puts Cece to sleep. But he's always doing some, like... The Night Watchman or whatever the club was called where Jim walks in on him one day. Like a community night patrol. He's a volunteer firefighter, like a sheriff's deputy or whatever. For a short period of time. Right. And Dwight never once says, like, I'm amazing. I do all these things. I mean, he definitely gasses himself up from time Mm -hmm. to time. But 
he's like a pretty incredible dude. And especially by the end when he's like fully owned who he is as a person. Mm -hmm. He's fully owned all his weirdness. Salesmen of Northeastern Pennsylvania, I ask you once more rise and be worthy of this historical hour. <laughs> you know, as a lifelong nerd who likes math and Star Wars and Battlestar Galactica, like at no point in my life have I been Jim. Right. Like to go back to like middle school, like I was mm. not the gym of my middle school by yeah. any stretch. I was more of a Dwight for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't think anybody would want to be anybody in the office. But when Stanley pushes people aside for pretzel day, <laughs> I de that definitely resonates. Right. I definitely have felt like Toby, like Michael um, and not necessarily the good parts of those characters. Whereas with Parks and Recreation, I think everybody can be aspirational yeah. to some extent. Um, because at the end of the day, Parks and Recreation is full of kindness and, like, selflessness yeah. for, like, whether they believe in the cause or not. Whereas The Office, they don't come together for those reasons all the time. In Parks and Rec, community forms around a common sense of purpose and, like, mm -hmm. service work and all that. Whereas in The Office, it's more like a familial hmm. view of community. It's like, yeah, we're in this together because we have to be none of us really likes each other we're all sort of terrible like thanksgiving dinner is going to be mad uncomfortable but we have to be in this together and when it's time to like step up and get things done like we're going to do that yeah and i think you're right like i did not realize how much dwight really is like the thread of the office it starts yeah. with him and then it ends with him as you said fulfilling all of his roles like gaining the beet farm he always wanted Marrying the woman he's, like, lusted and pined for and, like, fought really hard to impress. For me, like, the most devastatingly romantic line in the entire office is when Dwight chases after Angela mm -hmm. and, like, pulls her over and he's got his megaphone. And he says, I love you. And I don't care that Philip's not my son. I will raise a hundred children with a hundred of your lovers if it means I can be with you. Can you put that down? This expresses how loudly I love you. I want somebody to love me the way that Dwight <laughs> loves Angela. It's like Dwight got over his need to pass on the shrewd genes, mm -hmm. right? It's like so central to his character to be like his shrewdness, right? <laughs> Which is so vital to his like the fiber of his being. It's yeah. like the shrewd factor. Yeah. And I yeah. think by the end, when you get to the wedding and you just see, like, how appreciative he is of everybody he works with, like, yeah, it's such a major moment of him kind of recognizing how these people have really, like, affected his life. Yeah. In ways that I don't think he really acknowledges throughout. Yeah, I had wanted to, like, read more about the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. Like the, what's the guy's name? Joseph uh, Campbell. Joseph Campbell's, like, hero's journey. Because I, I think there's an argument to be made for, like, Dwight being the person in the office who like undergoes or embarks on the hero's journey not only does the show end with him actually becoming the manager right so he achieves this like grand goal that he has in mind the entire series but he's also like fully settled into and owned like all of his peculiarity mm -hmm. uh, excuse me yeah i'm sorry but that's not all it takes to be a hero oh great well what is a hero to you a hero kills people people that wish him harm Okay. A hero is part human and part supernatural. A hero is born out of a childhood trauma or out of a disaster um, that must be avenged. 
Okay, um, you're thinking of a superhero. We all have a hero in our heart. I never really thought about, like, him, the amount of times that he leaves the office for confrontation. Mm-hmm. I feel like he also has, there is that, and then there's, like, his sort of inward journey. Yeah. And that's, that's like, a big thing for him, too, is discipline, right? Like, he's so into martial arts, he's, like, not particularly good at it. <laughs> How dare you? I am a practitioner of Goju-ru Karate here in Scranton. And he's spent, like, $100,000 over 12 <laughs> years to get a black belt. Yeah. Or something to that effect. But to speak to your point, I'm thinking about the Odyssey Mm. Um, and thinking about the circuitous route. Because, like, Joseph Campbell has, like, a fairly, like, this is the circle. This is, like, the trajectory. But Dwight's trajectory isn't linear. Like, part of the hero's journey is to, like, leave the community and go out Mm -hmm. and, like, fight a monster. And overcomes his insecurity, which I think is, A, like, a really central theme in the office across the board. But for him in particular, it's, like, why he's so sort of like cold. But by the end of the show, he's like, you know, these are my very best friends. Mm-hmm. Right? Pam is his best friend. Like, Oscar's the godfather of his kid. Jim is his best man. And I what, feel like what is all... it? His best invention? His bestest... Bestest mention? mention? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is not funny. This is totally unprofessional. Okay, well, you're the one who lost the desk. I didn't lose my desk. Okay, calm down. Where was the last place you saw it? Okay, who moved my desk? Jim is so awful to Dwight. When you, when you like sum up mm-hmm. all of the pranks he plays on him, can I trust Jim? I don't know. Do I have a choice? No. Frankly, I don't. Will I trust Jim? Yes. Should I trust Jim? You tell me. I do love their friendship as it develops towards the end of the show. Like they're sort of like brothers who hate each other. Like yeah, they're forced I guess to be together. Yeah, I guess that's the like key is that it's not about friendship, but there's like a brotherhood. But when Michael leaves, who's like a connection point mm-hmm. that sort of like binds them, like then they have to become friends. Yeah. Kind of. Or they have to like band together. I will remember you. It's sort of through the mundane that all these characters like sort of find a sense of community and purpose and love and mm-hmm. happiness and like finding enjoyment in small moments and all that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, I think they say this explicitly in like the very last episode that it's about finding beauty in ordinary things mm-hmm. and that the work is like really secondary for, I think for everybody except for Dwight, yeah. like the actual work, like the selling of paper. Mm-hmm. He's undoubtedly the hero of that show. <laughs> undoubtedly. Well, thanks, Demetrius, for talking to us about The Office. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Pop! The Question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our audio engineering and theme was produced by Brian Cantoric. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paul Morans-Cohen, and Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. 